going on? What's up, everybody? How's it going? What up? It's, uh, Back at it again. Yeah. Different <laughs> decade, though. <laughs> Different decade. We are entering the 1980s today, guys. So continuing on with our series of comic books throughout the decades. We've dropped one for every decade. We've caught up to the 1980s. Greatest decade of all time. You know, we were all born in the 1980s. So, And it's going to get dark. Real fast. <laughs> That's why I like it. <laughs> so there are a lot of first appearances, but I think the the 80s were defined by great storylines and the rise of the independence. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the two biggest takeaways from the 1980s in comic books. I mean, we probably got four of the greatest Batman stories of all time. Each one trying to outdo each other on being darker than the other. Yeah. yeah. We, we have... Um, Batman Death in the Family. So the fans voted to kill off a Robin. And the fans got dark on that one too. <laughs> we have uh Batman Year One. Right. The Dark Knight Returns. And then probably one of the darkest stories, the killing joke. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was Batman in a different light. It was different from the campiness of Dick Sprang and his earlier days. Yeah. I know. It's 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 amazing how how they got away with some of the stuff they got away with. Yes. Storyline wise and, and just content that they put out there. I mean, but let's be real. One of the probably the darkest stories of the 80s, which is one of your personal favorites, Watchmen. Yeah, that's I mean, that's another classic. Again, they, they, they got away with so much back then because everybody was I mean, especially on the Batman side. They tried to outdo each other. They tried to outright each other. They try to make each Batman story darker than the previous person doing it. So. And then it was pretty much the, the decade of Adam Moore. Yeah. It was the decade of Alan Moore, Frank Miller, Chris, uh, Chris Claremont. Yeah. And then you have Marv Wolfman and George Perez. But And they all they all got dark. Yeah. They, they, they all they all have incredibly famous story arcs that just went dark. Yeah. Like They're, the rest of the eighties. Like it was almost like they were taking the innocence out of comics and kind of infusing it with like more adult themes. Yeah. I'm assuming it's because you have also the fans from the 70s growing up. They're a little older, which, you know, you see it happening with, with so many things where as the, as the fans get older, they start, the storylines get, get a little darker. And I think, I think, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, I think the rise of the independence had a lot to do with it too. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. the independents were outside of that Marvel DC umbrella and they can write and they can draw whatever they wanted. They weren't limited to preconceived notions of any character. Correct. They were able to go off the whim at any given point in time. So yeah, so they weren't bound by the boundaries of what the publishers were letting them do because they could do whatever they want, and they weren't bound by what the characters, their limitations were. So they were creating new characters. Mm-hmm. Well, and, they, they they weren't bound by by the comic uh, code authority either, right? Which is why they got away with so much. And I think they had to, you know, the the Marvel and DC, especially DC, they had to. They, they, they took liberties and they expanded on their storyline to kind of just compete a little bit with these independents that were coming out. Just piggybacking off the dark storyline, I think one of the darkest storylines is the Judas contract. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Because yeah. coming out of it, you have Deathstroke, you yeah. have uh, his inappropriate relationship with uh, Terra, and, you know, what happens there. He's a minor. Yeah. No, Deathstroke, people <laughs> seem to forget that he is, you know, a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> For all practical purposes, I mean. Well, they've, they've softened him out throughout the years and made him more of like an antihero now as opposed to a villain. I can't see. I can see Punisher as like an anti-hero, but I don't know. I can't see Deathstroke as an anti-hero. Oh, I see Punisher and Deathstroke kind of in the same light. I see Punisher differently. Yeah, 
just because like he's on a quest for vengeance for his family. Deathstroke's just in it for the money. Yeah, it's a difference. <laughs> It's a big difference, <laughs> but no. Over the years, you've seen like they have like an animated movie with him. And he's like the antihero, and they yeah. kind of write, they kind of depending who writes him, they like to write the line. But he started off as a, as a straight up villain. Yeah, shit, he was the influence for Deadpool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. So, going back, sticking with the big guys, you had another phenomenal storyline. And guys, if you haven't read any of these uh, stories, find them online. Try to get the trade; they are great reads. We had uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Yes. Which, to me, that is one of my favorite story, Spider-Man stories. It's right. excellent. I read that recently. It's it's an excellent story. Yeah. Did it translate throughout time? Does it still hold true? Like, does it still hold up to its reputation? Yeah. I mean... I haven't read it in a couple of years. That's why I just... Like, I don't know. As, as a first-time reader of the story recently, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it follows the hype. Yeah. The hype is there. I can see why people call it a great story. It's an excellent story, and it kind of follows, you know, like, it's, he's not like a traditional villain. Right. The dude really is, just wants to hunt Spider-Man, and yeah. you see, like, as he goes on, he realizes what he's done and how he ends that. Like, if you ever read the story, read it. I don't want to spoil it for you. Most people have, but if you haven't, read it. It's not your average, like, super villain story. It's an excellent story. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, um, psychological issues that Craven deals with. Yeah. And it, it's an excellent read. And it's also one of the first ones that the storyline translates through multiple titles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just all in Spider-Man. It's in Spectacular, Peter Parker, right. you know, the different uh, ongoing titles there for the month. So, yeah, that's, to me, that's one of my favorite from the 80s. Um, we also had the X-Men, their heyday. We had uh, Days of Future Past. And that's right. God Loves, Man Kills. That's right. So both written by Chris, Chris Claremont. Both within a year of each other right. and standing storylines. Yeah. You know, the post-apocalyptic world, looking back at it, at least for Days of Future Past. was excellent. We also had the infamous Frank Miller run on Daredevil. That's right. So that that was a huge... That was a long run, too. That was a long run, and it also culminated in, like, the death of Elektra. Death of Elektra, right? Yeah. Death of Elektra, and they introduced Bullseye. And the whole thing, the whole, it, it was yeah. uh, Daredevil and Punisher, which is right. where they grabbed um, inspiration from Daredevil season two. Right. So it played into that factor. And then you had Daredevil born again. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it changes Daredevil. Daredevil wasn't like a dark CD, you know, comic right. book before then, before Frank Miller. Frank Miller was a, he was a busy man in the 80s. He was like the guy they brought in to like, hey, we, we need to get darker and grittier. Yeah. Get over here. <laughs> yeah, very much. Because <laughs> at that point, they're all trying to outdo each other when it comes to like pushing the line yeah. of comic books yeah it's like how close can i get to the edge before i get pushed mm-hmm. off so and then um towards the end of the decade we had um two great storylines from dc we had uh um i crisis on infinite earths which presented the death of supergirl and the original flash right barry allen mm-hmm. which barry allen stayed dead for a very long very time. long time well, that was the beginning of the great reset for dc right yep. yeah so that's where we got Wally West taking up the mantle of Flash. And then um, we also had recent Netflix series as well, Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, that's right. the end of the 80s. Right. I had never, I think you two have, but I haven't read the series of Sandman. Yeah. I thought the show, I thought the show was well made. Like, I, I particularly liked the death episode. Mm-hmm. And the diner scene was just a complete mind, like, cluster, you know, a mind bend. I mean, the least. they they did a pretty good job from 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 what the actual source material. 
Not exactly, but it was it was it was pretty. It was damn close. They definitely keep you with like the visuals. Yeah, that that ethereal dreamlike state right. is throughout the whole show, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool. Those are just some guys. Now I don't know if I missed any. If you guys have any yeah. other lists, let's not forget Frank Miller on Wolverine, the Wolverine series, the, the one through four, the mini series with that iconic cover, mm-hmm. which you might be able to see on the video in the background. That is a an iconic cover for Wolverine in the eighties. Yeah, we had a couple of iconic covers as well because McFarlane on Batman. We had a Wolverine, Incredible Hulk, three forty. Well, we haven't so, even got into the McFarlane. Side I know we that. haven't even got there. Yet. <laughs> but they're uh, just mentioning off the iconic yeah, covers. Yeah. There's ones that you look at and you're like, I know that cover. Right. But he gives us well, not not just a cover, but um, that that miniseries Wolverine. It gives us his ties to like Japan, and we start getting more on Wolverine's background. It's more than just the X Men. Frank Miller gives us a nice rich character with wolverine with that miniseries this all started because he felt that wolverine could handle and deserves his own title mm-hmm. and this was sort of like a tryout right so then enough that in 88 wolverine gets his own ongoing series mm-hmm. besides uh the great stories the dark the seediness uh writers trying to outdo each other we also had the rise of the independence and it's funny doing this research i knew of them but it's just interesting how closely and how many different comic labels were in the 80s and had the rise of characters that are still around. Oh, for sure. It was incredible. It was incredible the amount of, of amount of just titles that came out. And we know this is true because every collection that we pick up is full of independence. Of stuff you've never heard of. Stuff you've never heard of. Stuff that you look into and you're like, oh, wow. And then like if you, if, if you decide to do a little bit of research into one of these titles, you're like, wow, like this is incredible. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of titles come out, a lot of characters come out, and a lot of artists and writers came out of these titles that later on became that got into mainstream comics started in these independent titles and a lot of these characters are still around today yeah like they're still in ongoing titles you know we have um well let's go through it you're the independent expert paul like where do you want to start off on i mean i want to call myself an expert but i think i've delved into the independent side of comics for a little bit but uh so the biggest publishers at the time were eclipse comics comical first comics and kitchen sink comics then we also have Mirage in there, but they were kind of like they got they, they kind of just got their their start in the early '80s with TMNT. But uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of these titles, if you look at it, they they were selling they were outselling Marvel and DC titles. They were outselling flagship to Marvel and DC titles at the time. When I did the research, there were so many like, hey, first print, second print, third print, because obviously being independent, they did a smaller print run, but it gained so much notoriety right. and so much so big of a following that this is where. We have multiple printings coming right. to effect. Mm-hmm. Like 50,000 copies was a normal number for any independent title at the time. Yep. Which is incredible. Yeah. Because usually those titles kept it to like, you know, eight to 10,000 copies printed. Yeah. But these guys were printing 50,000 titles or 50,000 copies. And a lot title. of these were a little bit regional based as well. True. So yeah. some you might get in the Northeast, some you might get in the West Coast. Right. And it's funny because they went into... They, they, they started in the 80s, went hard in the 80s, and then early 90s, that's it. They're just done. They, they tried to get into the direct market, and that's it. They just it, went, they, they went tits up. Like, they yeah. just died. Because they had to spend more money on that. They had to spend more money on that, yeah. But, yeah, no, like, Eclipse Comics, you had Airboy. You had uh, Destroyer Duck was came out of Eclipse Comics. You mm-hmm. had the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had, uh, they're cool, because Coyote was the title that they dropped in, in Eclipse, which was McFarlane's first published, published work. Yep. So, later we'll talk about McFarlane, but he came out in Coyote, Published by EC or Eclipse, mm-hmm. they also did the character adaptation of the Hobbit mm-hmm. so for all the Lord of the Rings fans. 
they did the adaptation and they translated a lot of the mangas. So anybody that's into mangas, a lot of the translations from the mangas came over from Eclipse Comics. So this is when they had just been imported from Japan and this is f- basically the U.S.'s first taste. Right. First true taste of like Japanese right. storylines. Which makes sense because our generation, let's be real, the girls grew up on like Sailor Moon, the yeah. guys grew up on like Dragon Ball Z. Pretty and, much, yeah. And everything like that. And then interesting, first comics... They did American Flag, which was a Howard Chaykin uh, run or okay. title. He was the one that did uh, Star Wars, the yes. first Star Wars. Oh, nice. Yeah. But don't ask him to sign anything Star Wars related, though. Yeah, no, he's a, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's out there. He's a loony. He really? will only sign stuff, original comics. Like, yeah. he does not like to sign stuff where he had to work for, like, for hire. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's a, he's a, he, he's a toughie. Yeah. But uh, that, to- that comic in particular was one of the ones sent 50,000 copies. Per title, or oh, of the yeah. title, yeah. I nice. think that title amongst the um, the independent titles was huge. Yeah. But first comics also did uh, Dreadstar. Mm-hmm. They did uh, Grimjack. They did Star Slayer. Then they did a translation of Lone Wolf and Cub, which is loosely based on what Mando season one was. Right, and then they also did a revival of the classic illustrated. Which those are like the Tom Huck, uh, yeah, Sawyer, Huck Finn, old like stories, yeah, Invisible Man. But again, they were not a business in '91 because they wanted to expand it to the newsstand distribution. Mm-hmm. It's just too expensive. And then you had Comical, you had the Elementals, Grendel came out of the Comical, Robotech, Star Blazers, and Johnny Quest adaptations. And then Kitchen Sink, they had a bunch of Death Rattle. They did a lot of the reprints for Will Eisner, The Spirit, mm-hmm. Kings in the Skies, Megaton Man, Omaha the Cat Dancer, just off the wall titles that. Some characters that lived and died by those comics, and when those comics yeah, stopped, like they were done. That's it, they were done. We also got um like Graphic Fantasy One, which is the first appearance of Savage Dragon. Right. He's still around. We had Dark Horse Comics. Dark Horse. So Alien, Alien versus Predator, Predator. We had um Crow. The Crow, yeah. Crow One come out. And then I think we've um left off probably one of the biggest grails of the eighties being TMNT. Right. Mm-hmm. So TMNT one uh, was produced in 1984 by Mirage It was a 3,000 comic print run that the guys uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did by themselves under Mirage Studios. And number one has five reprints, yeah. fifth prints, all different covers. So you could tell one, two, and three are pretty much the same because you could just tell by slightly and on the what's that called in the inside? indica indica on the inside, and then. The fourth is one of the most rarest seen. Like, I've never seen it as often as I've seen the fifth, which is the one with the red background mm-hmm. and Master Splinter, All right. like, overseeing them. Well, the red, the fifth one is the actual comic book size. Is like, it? it's smaller? Yeah. The, yeah, because the, the first one's bigger. The, the first, second, and third print, I think, are, are, are off-size. They're not, they're well, not yeah, so it's, uh, so it's two, three, and four. Right. Five, the, they start, like, trimming it down. Comic to book format, yeah. yeah. They didn't know how popular this was going to become, and they killed off Shredder. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like, oh crap! Now we need to do something else. Like, and quick. that was another regional based in the northeast. In the mm-hmm. northeast, they they dropped it in that Boston, like Massachusetts areas where mm-hmm. they, the the comic shops in that area are the ones that got the first print of that book. Yeah, they had access to it. Um, it also came out. This is the whole conversation of first appearance ads, all that. The first ad for TMNT one was in Goobly Gook one, mm-hmm. like books you've never even heard of because. That's, you that's, know. And that's Jimmy's favorite book because he loves saying it. I love saying Gook. Yeah. yeah, I do. <laughs> so, there's, a, there's, a, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of books that have 
early appearances of these characters somewhere else somewhere else and like off title publishers and off published titles that just came out well yeah and i'm sure there's also um references and adaptations to them like you know just going back to when we talked about the 30s sam uh bradley was the prototype for superman yeah so it was one of those things that just you know well, hey, we'll, we'll get into it into, we'll get into it in the 90s when we talk about spawn because yeah the dude <laughs> has like 16 first appearances if you if you go down the list <laughs> <laughs> and there's probably more unsigned spawn ones out in circulation now than signed right. ones yeah because even tom mcfarland says this is the book that i've signed the most <laughs> that there's probably more unsigned ones yeah but no yeah tmnt that's that's the i mean nowadays when you look at when you look at it in hindsight now's the granddaddy of the independent books yeah. it's the actual title or the, or the character that actually survived and hit mainstream Went mainstream well yeah just think about it from there they got tv shows movies toy deals right different generations like every few years you have a new generations of right. turtles yeah and you've got a few from there that have survived but not to the popularity right. that was in the turtles like they they were able to hit the mass audience a lot of those independent titles have a cult following mm-hmm. like the crow has a the cult crow, following yeah. but tmnt went full-blown mainstream man yeah and then also i will put this up there with the granddaddy albedo too first appearance of yeah. usagi yojimbo i mean popularity wise I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't put it up there. No, but it's a it's a softer book. It's not the book because of the print run and what yeah. it is. But I mean, again, that's more of a cult following. I would say. Yeah, because I, I would tell you right now, the only reason why I even heard about Usagi Ojimbo was because of Ninja Turtles. Right. Yeah, he did the crossover into mm-hmm. but the, the anthropomorphic that 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 anthropomorphic genre of yeah. you know animals taking on human characteristics. That's that's to me like a little following, like a little niche. Where oh yeah, you also had um, Thundercats that came out as well. Yeah. You had then Transformers and Voltron right. as well that came out during this run. So it is pretty impressive, like all the common traits that we had. Yeah. And these characters are still around right. yeah. to this day. And when you see those indie comics, some of those titles, the ones that got really popular at that time, you can see why D- uh, DC and, Mar- and Marvel started going a little darker. Yeah, Because they wanted to get those readers, the readers that were picking up those those indie books. Yeah. I mean, it's dark when you kill off your main villain in the first issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and, and just, you know, for, like I mentioned before, like, look, pro tip, if you buy a collection and there's a box or there's a section of a box that has independent books, don't just discard them. Yeah. Look into them because they might have some type of significance. They might have a first appearance. They might have some big storyline that is important in the comic book realm. So mm-hmm. look them up. Look, even if it's a long box of independence, look them up. Because you never know what you have. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they might have a, a, there's a backup story that has a first appearance of a right. major character. And this was also the introduction. Um, comics going into different mediums, but different medium going into comics. We also have Blip 1 come out, which is the first appearance of Mario and Donkey Kong in comics. Right. So, obviously, this was Nintendo's like uh, bread and butter at the time. So, they started to try to cross-platform them. And then going back full circle, we did have a lot of... Um, we talked about it before, McFarlane first published art, but this is where McFarlane started to do the ASM run. Amazing Spider-Man, he started in 298, which brought us, you know, the end of Spider-Man in the black suit, the introduction of Venom. Mm-hmm. So, key storylines, you know, and Spidey back in his red and blue. Right. Um, we also had, prior to that, we had Madam Web, Hydro-Man, Hobgoblin, and Silver Sable that came out all in Amazing Spider-Man in the 200s in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And we also had Secret Wars 8. 
Yeah, the big boy there. Which was the whole, you know, the series was created to sort of augment the toy line. That's why they created so many of the characters, yeah. so many different variations. But Black Suit Spidey came out in Secret Wars 8, which was the Venom symbiote. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of anaphromorphic, we had Peter Porker. Yeah. First Spider appearance Ham. of Spider-Ham. <laughs> Which was pretty interesting. It was one of those like off-brand. I think that was also another dig to sort of independence yeah. to try to grab those those types of readers. Right now, Disney Plus series, we have the first appearance of Jennifer Walters as a She-Hulk. Yeah, that's right. She-Hulk came out in the 80s. So, was, And let me just say something. I, well, since we're talking about She-Hulk real quick, there's a lot of hate going on with that show. Like People don't seem to understand that it's a comedy and not like a straight-up action series. And one of the main things with Shulk was the comedy aspect, the breaking the fourth wall, the that that comic not being taken very seriously. It was very slapstick. I think I, it's either people that haven't didn't read the comic don't understand the background, ex- expecting this to be some action-packed spectacular, but that show sticks very closely to the roots of what the She-Hulk comic was. She was breaking the fourth wall before Deadpool. Breaking the fourth wall before Deadpool, yeah. It was very much like talking to the reader, not taking yourself seriously ridiculous moments like even if there was a, an action sequence coming up it would stop and she'd just be talking and you'd miss the entire action sequence while she's talking to you and then she'd come back and whatever happened was already done mm. people yeah. seem to forget about that no and she did do a lot of talking to the readers like by this issue i jump rope naked on the inside yeah you know and it's literally her jumping rope naked but everything's blurred out with the jump right. rope, so. yeah or the fact when she was part of fantastic four in the 80s when when thing takes off for his own his own series and they have this scene where she's, you know, she's topless sunbathing up on the on the on the roof because no one's up there, and a helicopter comes with paparazzi, and they're trying to get, you know, shots of her. Yeah, so no, it's, no, it's, yeah. it's all about the wacky moment. Like that, that's supposed to be a, a title where you just it's like a fun. That was like the the breakaway from all the darkness going on in the eighties yeah, yeah. comics. Right. Yeah, it was like the comic relief going back to the darkness of the eighties, <laughs> Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. So the only reason I say that is if you guys haven't watched the Hulu show Cloak and Dagger, it is. I think very well done, but also very dark. Like, it's one of those series that adult storylines, sex trafficking, like, you know, racial um, racial stereotypes. Like, it delved in deep. I was like, damn. I, I hadn't watched it. I have it there to watch. But I know that the characters stuff in the comics were very, you know, their origins are very messed up. Mm-hmm. Which is why they stick together. They're both, like, incredibly flawed characters. Right, both broken. With their, own, with, their own, with their own issues. Yeah, and they, they balance each other out. Mm-hmm. So, balancing each other out, we also had the Dark Phoenix and the Death of the Phoenix yeah. in the X-Men run. That sort of led into um, Days of Future Past and everything else that came out. That was a huge significance. And Jean Grey was actually another character that stayed dead for an extremely Very long, time. long time. Yeah, she didn't stay dead. <laughs> I never cared for that Dark Phoenix storyline or the Phoenix storyline. I thought that was so whack. With the Hellfire Club. Yeah, it was never... I, I like that story. I... Like I, I, don't, I don't know. It was just one of the, like I, I didn't connect to it. It didn't, it didn't really like draw my attention. Didn't care for it. The thing that stuck with me most is obviously we read comics in the nineties and the two thousands, but characters would die, but they would come back. Yeah, this was sort of for a very long time. It was a permanent death, mm-hmm. and so was a uh, Barry Allen. Like that, that was the equivalent of each of their deaths, right? And they didn't come back for twenty plus years. Right. So that was a long time. It was, and huge. we forget because you have like you know we grew up with with these com- um, cartoon series. With right. these characters, and then the, but in the comics, they're they're gone. Yeah, and then DC sort of outside of their uh, major story arcs, we had Jason Todd, Killer Croc, first appearances. We had the first appearance of Cyborg, Starfire, and Raven, the New Teen Titans, um, Deathstroke, 
uh, one of your favorites, Paul Constantine. Yeah. And uh, the introduction of Justice League Dark as well. That's 80, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, because that was Swamp Thing 4950. 4950, right? Yeah. I didn't realize that yeah, right. Justice League Dark first came out in the 80s. I thought that was a more recent thing. No, yeah. and um, yeah, it came out 10 issues after Constantine. Yeah. They came out, yeah, they, they, they re-brought it back, I think, in the 2000s. Yeah. And then, yeah, but it did come out in the 80s, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was it was there was good content, man. They they that's if you want if you if you're a big reader, the '80s is probably a good start to get reading material because you're gonna get some good stories. Man. Oh, for sure. If you had to pick your top story of the '80s, which one would that's it be? Watchmen? I know. Yeah. <laughs> I knew the viewers and the <laughs> listeners were like, "Oh, which one is it gonna be?" George, how about you? Why you gotta throw me in that? It's okay, so so, hard to pick so never mind. So I would pick uh, Batman Killing Joke. Like that was that'd be that'd be my that'd be my number two. Yeah, like Batman stories, I'd go with Batman with the Killing Joke. That'd probably be my favorite. Yeah, that one drew this contract. Craven's Last Hunt would sort of round out my yeah. My Craven's Last Hunt was was a good one. I think Dark Knight Returns was the first one that I read out of all of those. That was the first one because I read that before, um, Days of Future Past and Dark Phoenix and all that. Because I I I found out about those watching the animated series and then went back and and Mm -hmm. read them. Dark Knight, I think, was the first one that I actually read before all, all of those. Yeah. So you're picking the Dark Knight Returns. I'll pick that because it was the first one that, that I read. You know, it's usually, usually the first one isn't always the best one that you read, but it's such an excellent read that. Yeah, that was a good read. Yeah, that was a really good because it was so different. Yeah, they you are. Know? They are great reads, and obviously, guys, one of the biggest things they say the books they ban or the controversial books, those are the ones you should be reading. Yeah, because they're the ones that open your eyes and open your mind to different things that are happening right. in society. But we could sit down here for another hour and go through some more storylines. Let us know what you guys thought as the your favorites and uh, what did we miss. And then until next time. Guys, thanks for watching the video. If you like it, appease the algorithm gods. Hit the like bell. Hit the like button. Leave a comment. Subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and any other social media platform. Thanks for watching.